my name is Jeff Lowndes. Um, I'm a member here at SOMA and part of actually the church planting residency as well with my wife Allie and Joshua who's not here today. Um, so I am so thankful to be able to uh, encourage us today with this new series that we're starting in. We're starting a new series um, on the four G's. Uh, we're titling it Gospel Foundations, but we're essentially going to be going over uh, what we call the four G's. We've actually adapted it from a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. So um, if you want to uh, read that book on the side, it, it'll give a lot more context to what we're wanting to speak about week in and week out here. And so the four G's are essentially four truths about God that we see are really fundamental to remembering as we uh, grow in our love for Him. And so, um, you can go to the next slide where it has them. So, the four G's are God is good, and then every truth has kind of an inverse. God is good, so we, don't, don't not, we do not have to look elsewhere. God is great, so we do not have to be in control. God is glorious, so we, don't, we do not have to fear others. And God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. So, in thinking about, we just finished you know, the series on 1 Timothy, and before we jump into another book of the Bible, we want to just take a little bit of a season, because a lot of us are maybe newer here, maybe have heard of the four Gs, or maybe you haven't heard of them at all, um, but they really are so foundational to us growing in our love for Christ, because it's an awesome way in which we get to recognize idols in our lives. It's, a, it's an awesome way in which we get to, as we remember these and remind each other of these, get to grow in our love for God and actually repent of the idols and turn to worship of, of the true God. And uh, they, they really focus on what we're believing um, because we really believe here at Soma that everything we do flows out of what we believe. And so it's a pretty simple truth, but uh, Luke 6.45 and other texts talk about in the Bible, but Luke 6.45 says that um, let me read it actually. Um, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, whatever we're doing, not only speaking, but acting as well, flows out of what we're believing in that time. So, we regularly forget who God is, and we often settle for substitutes if we're being honest with ourselves. Uh, and so, these four truths are not something we memorize once and then are good, but they're actually something that we get to remember and remind each other of day in and day out as we try to and seek to live life together. You know, we can, we can sing God is good, but then we can tomorrow look to so many other things for our joy and satisfaction. We can say God's great, but then we can seek to have complete control and, 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 and ownership over something. When, when it doesn't work out the way we, we want it to, anxiety just, just invades every aspect of our heart. I know that's an area that I struggle in a lot. We can say God's glorious, but then we can consistently, out of fear, seek the approval and, and, and seek the glory from others. We can even say God's gracious. Say, God, you are gracious, but then we can have this incessant need to want to prove ourselves. I don't know if any of you have felt that. So, so it's, this, it's this realization that these things come from a, a, a place of just a failure to believe something about our God. So Tim Chester, who wrote the book You Can Change, he sums it up well. Um, and he basically says, remembering the four G's and just kind of including them into just the normal rhythms of our life really helps us close the gap between our confessional faith, what we would say on a test or what, someone, uh, what we would respond to someone if they asked us what we believe, and our functional belief, what we actually act on on a day-to-day basis. And this closing of that gap is just, it's just sanctification. It's just learning, learning how to love God more and more as we uh, properly remember who He is. And the last thing I wanted to point out is that 
um, these are not just diagnostic tools for us to master and then be able to rightly uh, prescribe a truth whenever we are struggling in an area. These are really uh, truths about God that I'm praying that the Spirit would teach us about. Because the Spirit is our teacher and He points us to Jesus time and time again. And so it's not enough just to say, man, I'm really struggling with anxiety today. God's, God's uh, great, so I just need to not worry. Like we, we actually need the Spirit to teach us today and we need the Spirit to teach us every single other day about these truths. So as we remind each other of them, it's awesome, but it's also my prayer, and I I would hope it becomes our prayer that as we're trying to just love God and properly believe who He is more, that we'd be asking the Spirit to teach our hearts and to remind us of who He is. So today we're going to talk about uh, God is good. And we're going to do it in the framework of three questions. And you can go to the next slide. The questions are, what is it we're all looking for? Where can we find it? And why do we keep searching once we already know where it is? So, first question. What is it we're all looking for? Blaise Pascal, old dead guy, but has good quotes, uh, says, says, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. And so Pascal just does completely two contradicting things, going to war and not going to war, but to say the heart of men, a lot of times, it just seeks happiness. I would say, add on to that, seeks happiness, fulfillment, or satisfaction, maybe to add a little bit more color. You know, we're all looking for a happiness that will never fade. We're all looking for that that satisfaction, that fulfillment that quenches the deepest desires of our hearts, whatever that that means. You can look within our church or within the world. Everyone is looking for something like that. And it's not that every little thing we do, we like result and it's going to turn to our happiness. I'm, um, I'm a little out of shape right now and I'm trying to get back into working out. And it's just, you probably a lot you know, it's like this cyclical thing. You work out for a couple months and then like you go on vacation or something and then you get out of the work, you get out of like the rhythms of working. I got a lot of blank stares. Does anyone struggle with working out? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, what? I, I'm, I work out all the time. Anyways, I've been starting to run and it's like, it's the worst. But I believe that if I'm healthier... <laughs> If I believe I'm healthier, I'm going to be happier, I'm going to live a better life, right? And so, so this bleeds into everything we do. Like, people get married because they think it will be the epitome of happiness. I'm going to marry this person because they're, they're going to make me happy for the rest of my life. But <laughs> some, some of you guys are laughing because a lot of us do get, are really frustrated and are struggling in our marriages, and it is hard. And the reason is because is we're looking to it for our source of satisfaction and joy, and God never, never created marriage to be that for us. He was meant to be that. In L.A., we have tons of things that claim to be our source of fulfillment. Um, we could do a whole sermon series just on all the different ways in which are prevalent in our city that claim satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction and joy for us. Whether that's, um, whether that's the weather. <laughs> a lot of people are here for the weather. Social clubs. Uh, for some, it's making it famous. For some, it's that side hustle you know, that we're working on. And once that comes through, we're going to become, we're going to have money and all of our woes are going to be fixed. For some, it's the American dream. We want to get a house and a family. And once we can get a house in L.A., okay, then we're good. We'll be set, right? 
And don't hear me that we can't find joy in all of these things. Because they are all meant to have some semblance of joy. But they're not meant to be the source of joy. And when they are, they crumble. Maybe, maybe day one, maybe year ten. But they crumble. And you want to know whether something has this place in your life? Be honest with yourself. And ask, what would happen if you'd lose it? If it would break? If it would go away? It's not that we can't mourn it, but would we be broken beyond repair? Would we be lost without hope? You see, all these things are meant to, to bring us back to our God who is the source of joy. They're meant to, to as we taste that good meal or experience that love of, of the, the person that we're married to, we remember our God who is the giver of good gifts, who is our source of joy. So why Paul in Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. His end goal was not things, it was Christ. Like when he would go to sleep at night, he wouldn't say, do I have this thing or that? Is my life comfortable? Do these people hear my message today? Um, you know, am I loved by everyone? His, his question he would ask himself at the end of the day, imperfectly, but he, he does it most of the time, I would imagine. He says, do I have Christ? Can I behold him? And because Christ is always with us because of the sacrifice he made, which we'll talk about more and more throughout today, the answer is always yes. So that was a little spoiler alert to our next question. Where can we find it? Right? Where, where, where can we find this, this joy, this satisfaction that we're all looking for? Well, we're going to be looking at a guy today uh, who is extremely wealthy in different parts of his life, like a billionaire, but also lived in extreme exile as well. So he lived on both, spectrum, both sides of the spectrum. His name's David. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, but we're going to get a glimpse today as we look at Psalm 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to get a glimpse today of, of what it would look like uh, to believe God is good so we don't have to look elsewhere. Right? We're going to work, work out. What does this actually look like? So, I'll give you guys a second for those of you who have Bibles still, like hard Bibles. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. Uh, Psalm 16. And we're starting in verse 1. So, David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So right off the bat, we see exactly where David turns when he needs help. We see when David's in, in struggle, when, David, when the things in David's life are letting him down or he's in, in turmoil, he turns to God. He takes refuge in God. And so it's a really great question to say, when I feel blank, I turn to blank. Right? When, when this happens this week, for me, like, when I'm in sales, when, the, when my, the big deal that was going to help like, bring in finances for us this month falls through, I turn to blank. Right? What is that for you guys? David turns to God. And he, and he continues on, he says in verse 2, I have no good apart from you. So, like I said before, this guy was like a billionaire on our standards. He has everything, and he says, all of it is not, like, I have no good apart from you. 
And I can easily go past it, but luckily, as I was studying it, because I was going to teach on it, I was sitting on it for a while, and I was like, that is insane, man. He has everything the world would, would say, you need this in order to be happy. And he's like, Nothing is, none of it is good apart from you. And it's the same thing Paul said earlier. Man, all of it is rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It, it, it just it like challenged me, and it made me like, man, God, I want that for my own heart, and often I don't, but I want it. To put some more color around it, David says it in another way in Psalms 27. It was like a verse that really stuck on my heart for many years. Um, and he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that this is what I would seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon His beauty and to inquire in His temple. Like that heart, man, is like... Uh, this week, as I was living life and struggling and putting my hope in other things, I was like, God, like, help me have this heart. Like, I believe this, but I don't believe it today. Like, help me. So I wanted to take a second as a family. I'm going to ask us a question. If you're new with us, when I ask a question, you can respond. It's a time where we get to, um, we get to not only just be taught from up here, but the Spirit lives in all of you as well and can teach us as well. So we get to, I want to ask us a question. It's a simple one. Um, where do we all see God's goodness in the Bible? So the whole biblical story, um, what are times when you're like, man, God was really good here? Yeah. Like quality time. Quality time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he provided manna in the desert for the Israelites. Hmm. Yeah. When he provided manna in the desert when they were starving and, and he fed them. Yeah. The Passover lamb. Yeah. Yeah, Passover lamb is what she said. Jesus, thank you, Matt, for providing Jesus for us. Yeah, there's a lot there. We'll we'll, we'll go into it more, but, but yeah. <laughs> what do you say? All of Genesis. All of Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he created the world and he said, "This is good," and even more, he created us and he says, "This is very good." Yeah. And like five seconds later, when we sinned, and he's like, "Where are you? I'm gonna come after you." Yeah. Yeah, we sin, we turn from him, and he pursues. We don't deserve it. Oh, John, John, you had your hand raised and all. There's a verse in Corinthians that says that God has said, Let I shine out of darkness. I show you my hearts to give the light of knowledge, the glory of God, in the face of Jesus, the face of Jesus Christ. So as we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we see all of that to be. Yeah, yeah. We get to see God's goodness displayed in Jesus, something we didn't deserve, but God freely gave in pursuit of us in the greater story. Uh, Ashley, you had your hand raised. Did you have something, or did John take your answer? <laughs> okay. Anything else? Last one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amy said when he gave us the law, it's his picture of protection over us. I would even say exposing our need of something uh, even greater, uh, something greater to save us than our own achievement of the law. Yeah. Anything else? 
Yeah. 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 Yeah, we see God when when people turn astray, God continually pursue and and forgive as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. As we continue on in verse three, David says, "As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips." So David contrasts two different types of people. One group of people who are in his community that are looking to God, that are pursuing God, and another group of people who, who he says uh, run after other gods, or, or but yeah, other gods, other things. And so I, 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 I love this section here, because David's saying his people, the, the, the people in his community bring him so much joy. And I don't think he's saying they, them in themselves, but they, they remind him of the goodness of God, right? Because he has nothing apart from God is good, is what he says earlier. And it, it just was so beautiful, because we live in a city where a lot of people don't have family, they don't have community, they're lonely. And David's, David's saying, man, the community that I'm in is good, and it, it brings joy to my soul. And it just reminded me of all of you. Like, I am so blessed to be a part of our family, and I'm so thankful that we get to be family together, once again, in a city where we often don't have it, and many are lonely, and we get to see a supernatural way of life, like people loving and serving each other in the good times and the bad, often no blood relation, but we're family adopted by God. Like, as we're walking arm in arm together, seeking to love each other, which which is great at first, but after a while it gets hard, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it, it, as we're seeking to love our city, through the highs and lows, like, it's why so many people in our friend circles, a lot of us have experienced friends who aren't a part of our family look in and say, there's just something different. Like, why are your friends helping, why have you helped three people move in the past two months? Like, tell them to get movers. <laughs> but, but, but we get to love and serve each other. And like, it has brought joy to my soul when I have received it. And it has brought joy to my soul when I have seen others giving it. Man, like, just, like through the highs and the lows. And he contradicts it with these other people who are running after other gods and their sorrows will multiply. And I was just thinking about when, when we do this as well sometimes, uh, but when, when people pursue the things that Ellie tells us are going to fulfill us, it always leaves us longing for more. It always leaves us wanting that next thing. These other gods that we worship, and let me put it in context, gods, we don't use that term a lot, but things that we put our time, our energy, our emotions, our love, and our, and, and our hope for satisfaction into are our functional gods, I would say. And, and so, so, whether it's your career, your family, your, your kids, 
that once again some of us have that side hustle a lot of a lot of the people in my friend circles have a job and they're also working something on the side that they want to build up as well that they're passionate about which are good things but they're really bad gods that they do not satisfy like we want them to and you may be like, I don't know, Jeff, it's pretty good right now. And I'm not saying there can't be joy in those things because God made things to, to be, to, to like have pleasure in. But in the long term, they cannot be our satisfaction and joy. And so David saw this happening thousands of years ago, and the same thing happens today. Yeah. Chris Wright says, he says, false gods never fail to fail. The only problem is that we as people never fail to forget that and always turn back to them. And so this is why we're going through the four G's. It's why we, as a people, need to consistently hear the truths about God. That that God is good. Alice had to do that multiple times in the past week. I'm prepping, I'm I'm immersed in this topic and I'm still needing needing to be reminded of it by the Spirit, through Ali, and and just through him directly, being like, "No, no, no, Jeff, that thing, I know it looks appealing, but no, no, I am the source of fulfillment. As we continue on, because I don't want to be here all day, unless you guys, are you, what? Okay, okay fine. Uh, verses 5 through 8. We read, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, and also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So, in the night references really dark and tough times. And like we said, David had a lot of times where really low points in his life. And so he has context in his mind when he's saying, in the night, like, I won't be shaken. And I think it's important to sit here for a second because it's often in those times where we struggle to believe God's good the most. Even when... Even when people in our lives are reminding us of it and we maybe receive it in our heads, it's still, if I'm honest, in those times hardest to, to actually believe God's good the most. And so I, I want to unpack it because David has some, some more context of this. And Psalms 42 is an example of, of when he's in the night, so to speak, and he's looking to God. And in this Psalms 42, David's literally forced to flee from the city that he's governing because his son's wanting to kill him. And he's out in the desert, like Palm Springs, except outside of Palm Springs, like Palm Desert, maybe, because he's not like a pool at Airbnb. He's like, sorry, bad example. Uh, but he's out in the desert. And I also want, don't want to ignore, David is mourning and struggling in the night. Too often as Christians, we can, can say, no, God's good, like, don't be sad. And it's like, no, 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 like, sin hurts, and there is pain. But I think the, the catch here is that we as Christians mourn differently than the world. We, we mourn because pain hurts, but we have a hope that, that changes the way in which we mourn. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So you see, we don't want to just ignore that there's death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So he kind of, this is, we're not going to dive into the whole text because we don't have time, but I just wanted to grab this snippet because there is pain in our family. And there is hurt. And, and like, life's, like, life's been tough for some of us a lot recently. And, but we mourn differently. 
right? So we jump back in to David, and he says, My tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say, while they say to me, I didn't look into this like super deep, so I don't, I don't have the context for who they is, but people around him saying, where is your God? The guy's mourning, struggling, in exile, and people are like, where is your God now? But, but look at this turn he makes. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's not saying, I'm not sad. He's saying, dude, so why, like, why are you cast down within me? He recognizes it. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. When we're in the night in those times, we get to say, God, I know you're good. I'm not feeling it. But I'm calling to mind, he says, my salvation and my God. He's saying, God, you're good for us today. God, I, heart, I, I know you're not here. But God, I hope in you. God has not left you guys. He's not forgotten us in those times. It's in those times that he's proved himself over and over again. And if you've been our, a part of our family long enough, and people are really transparent and open because we get to be family together. You're going to hear story after story about people just saying, I don't know what's going on. XYZ is happening. My house, housing situations, job loss. People are in the hospital. Death and life has been on the line in our family. And it's been hard. It's been really hard. But what we've seen is God's here with us. And he, he sits with us in the morning, not in the little morning, but in our sadness, and, and, and he carries us through it. And so this is why David, in this Psalms, to go back to Psalm 16, he says, I will not be shaken. Like he's, he's preaching to himself, he's saying, God, God, I know you're good. Hmm. But let's continue on, because... After he's recalling these tough times, he says in verse 9 through 11, Therefore, my heart is glad. Therefore, because I know that you are with me, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. If you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as we finish up the psalm, David is, is ecstatic. He's, he's rejoicing, recalling the pleasures of God. And the apostles actually quote this in the New Testament, speaking about Jesus, saying, If you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And so I wanted to sit here for a second and just remind us, like this just calls to mind a reality that Jesus is not dead. Like, Jesus did die. He was brutally killed. But our God is not dead. And He rose from death. And, and He calls us into eternal life. And this matters for our discussion today. Because everything we put our hope in, in this world, will stop at death. It will be going along, but at death, everything will stop 
but our God will not. Our God has defeated death, and He actually calls us who have put our faith in Him to, to actually, we, we actually live in eternity with Him. So He will be, He will be the only thing that's good. We will, we will fully believe that day in and day out. It's going to be a good day. But in the meantime, it, it, it's a reminder that, man, let's put it in the grand scheme of things. Like, everything will not pass death. Our God, when we talk about Him being our true joy and satisfaction, like, th- this glimpse of life is a struggle, but eternally, He will, he will be it. So God's our source of joy and satisfaction. And so we don't have to look elsewhere anymore. So the next question is, and I actually want to just ask us this question. um, Why do we keep searching once we already know where it is? I jumped it on you guys. I'll give you a second to think. No? I think it comes down to what we see around us that we end up running to search for. It's easier to see the eyes, like physical eyes, and like the eyes that we run Yeah. Yeah, Derek said it's, 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 um, it's easier to see with the, with, with the eyes of what? what? Was that? Physical eyes. Physical eyes, as opposed to the eyes of faith. And it, and he says this right in front of us. I think it's just speaking to like that instant gratification piece that we're all so used to. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call look up in a phone book and call a taxi and like wait for a guy. I'm just gonna pull up my phone and say, like, Siri, get me an Uber right now, and then we just expect it to be here. And we are in a world, we are in a culture of instant gratification. Yeah, it's this tension and this battle between our, our flesh and our spirit, our new life and th- that we that we live in, but we like cling to these chains that we that we were once in as well. It's like that tension of that. Yeah, uh, Sean and then Jackson. I think we um, when we get what we think we're looking for, we don't recognize it because it's not what we thought it was going to be. And I think that's often the way we've, we've got to like. We make our prayers and we think God's going to answer for exactly how we like it. Sometimes He, he answers it in the way you wouldn't expect. Hmm. So, yeah, I think it's always kind of a, whatever side of the fence you're looking on, it's always the grass is a little bit greener because it's not quite there yet. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Jackson? We lie to that uh, there is more out there, having greed drive that lie with um, making us uh, pursue other, other options. Yeah. Yeah. We we often um, Miles, why don't you go in this last one? Um, well, we live in a culture nowadays that has turned elsewhere for salvation other than Christ because you know uh, people find the credible excuses 
to ignore the Christ, to ignore Christ and his power. And so, because deep down inside they, they are simple, they don't want to follow God's rules. And they feel that if they turn to Christ for salvation, then they would have to follow all these rules. And they don't want to do that. Because, yeah, they choose not to. Yeah. And to them, like, you know, they don't, like, you know, um, Christ of salvation and following all these rules to them sounds like total, total bogus. Hmm. Total bogus. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I think it's, this, it's this lie we believe that God's holding out on us. It's kind of what Jackson said, and a few of you echoed it a little bit. Um, it's the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden that that there were better things that God was holding back from them, and if, if, if they just kind of went their way for a second, they, they would achieve better life, I guess is how you could say it. it. We struggle with this lie today in a lot of different ways. We, it's easy to believe the advertisements that that iPhone will make us happier, or that car will, 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 that will fill that gap right now, that this month at least, that, that we're really struggling with. I, I just would love to get that. Landing that big job... Ryan talked about money last week. Money is a huge one. If I can just get this pay raise, if I can just close this deal, if we can just start making this much money a month, then we'll be happy and we'll be content. But the reality is, is these things run a lot deeper than we realize and they invade a lot more areas than we think. And we are actually being robbed of pleasures forevermore, as what David describes it as, when, when we are looking at these other things. C.S. Lewis has a quote, and I think it, it just hits on this topic really well. Um, he says, is it on the screen? It should be up there. Um, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And like ignorant children, or, or like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer, by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We think the mud pies is what God's holding is holding out on us on, so we check those out for a while, and we come back to them. And we, we do the same thing Israel did in, in the Old Testament, like we talked about, um, but it's this lie we believe. Another area that I think is why we often struggle uh, to to keep searching once we already know where it is 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 we'd spoken to it before, we're deeply wounded people that need healing. Many of us walking in today would have absolutely said, hey, is God the best thing? Like, is He good? And we'd be like, yes. Would have owned it, exactly. But tomorrow when we're faced with the hundreds of temptations that we all will inevitably face of, of advertisements, of, of people saying, look here, this is going to be your satisfaction joy. Look here, look here. We will all choose something at some other point. And it just becomes this cycle, right? I, I'm, reading, um, I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now. And so, I know it's my first time. It took me so long to get there. I just finished the book one. Uh, but it just made me, it, it, it made me think of this reality that we live in. Because in the, in the story, the ring, like, it consumed people. Like, the, the, good ba- the good guys, as they're traveling with it, got tempted and, and some of them fell and lured by, by its lies that it would, it would satisfy them. Spoiler alert, just get ready. 
if you don't know this story, I mean, we, it's a different discussion, I guess. Uh, but at the end of the book one, Frodo, they're, they're, they're along in their journey in Boromir, who's just another dude. Uh, um, he, he's tempted and he actually kind of gets Frodo by himself and tries to take the ring from him. He becomes consumed with its power and allure. And so Frodo puts the ring on because it makes him invisible and he, he escapes. But even Frodo, the honorable great hobbit who everyone is like, okay, he's not strong. He's not like super powerful, but he is honorable. He's good intention. Those are his strengths. And even him, when he has the ring on, is tempted to, to keep it on. And to, to leave, and he's tempted with the lie, hey, th- this is going to be better. Th- put, keep it on, don't destroy it, like become powerful. And even after he knows Gollum, who Gollum believed the lie, and Gollum, Gollum put the ring on, and it sucked all the life from him. It promised everything, and it took everything. And it just made me think of this reality that we live in in some ways, how we walk through this life, and we know a lot of these things aren't going to satisfy us. But, but we, like what Chris Wright says, we never fail to forget that, that these things are going to fail us. It's this tension that we're living in. It's like, just to play it out a bit more, it's like when we're struggling with the pain and, and the turmoil that we all face in our family, it's easy to be tempted just to kind of like numb ourselves to avoid the pain. When in reality our God is there wanting to bring healing and reconciliation, our good God. We lift up our jobs and run to those things or money to say, that's going to satisfy me. And we run ourselves in the ground a lot of times, especially in this city. And, and then when we're tired and exhausted, we come back to God frustrated we settle for romance in TV instead of real relationships that God's placed in our lives. It's, just, it's this gap that sometimes feels really wide, to be honest, between our confessional faith and our functional belief. But there's good news. Don't worry. There's good news because we have a Savior who can bring forgiveness for that disbelief and He can actually bring healing as well as He, as he guides us by the hand back to our Father who is our source of joy. And, and not just joy in and of itself, but, but that as we enjoy Him, we would worship Him and He would receive all the glory because He is he's worthy of it. On the cross, Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath that was made for us because as we are looking to all the other gods to fulfill us, and God's the one who made us, made us to be fulfilled in Him, we des- like that is an offense against a, a holy and a good and a perfect God. And so Jesus on the cross absorbs that punishment that we deserve. And, and in doing so, he, he forgives, our sins get forgiven. We need a way to become one with God's family, and He satisfies we need a way out of this broken and decaying life, these chains, and Jesus satisfies. And then, then even more, when we confess our brokenness and say, Jesus, I need your grace and love, He promises us the Spirit, which will actually bring us healing and change our hearts. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, uh, it, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put this within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh why wouldn't we turn to such a good God who loves us so much and promises us healing day after day 
And so what this looks like and what this means for us today is that we as a family, we get to repent and call out our brokenness and say, God, I know you're good. God, like help. Maybe, maybe you need to say, God, I don't believe you're good, but I, I, I know it, but it's this tension. Would you help me believe that you're good? Would you change my heart once again? And this isn't a one-time act. As we're going through these four G's, there are truths that we will, we will not master this side of heaven. But, but we get to walk in faith and remind each other of those because the good news is that we are not out of the family when we're not believing them. God has fully forgiven every disbelief that, that you will have today, tomorrow, and the next day. He's forgiven every disbelief I've had in the past week or two, even as I'm preparing to to remind us of this good news as well. And so we get to just freely remind each other and ask the Spirit to say, would you continue to to remind us of our good God? Because that's the only source of joy. It's that tension that we were talking about earlier between our flesh, which which often disbelieves that God's good and that other things are better, and, and the Spirit, which wants to remind us of our good God. So I want to start today, start this series by reminding us that God is good, so we do not need to look elsewhere. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness. And I thank you that, that you actually have brought us into your family. You've done everything required to adopt us into your family and to actually be connected again with, with the source of goodness, the source of life that we were made to, to, to live in. God, I pray for us as a family. God, I pray that during the good times, that, that we would be reminded of your goodness. When we eat a good meal, when, we, when, when we're living life together and, and, and just enjoying the pleasures of relationship, that we would be reminded that they are all pointers back to to you, our good God, who who is the giver of these good gifts and who is the origin of all pleasures. And I pray for us in the struggles, in the hard times that have come so far that some of us are sitting in today and the things that will come in the future that, God, that you would show us grace and draw us near and, and help our hearts remember your goodness in the midst of those times where our flesh often wanes. God, I praise you, and I thank you, and I proclaim, Jesus, you are better. Amen.